If your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter 1, we'll read verses 46 through 56. And while you're finding your place there, I want to just tell our ladies how nice the church looks. Our women's ministry did such a wonderful job, a fantastic job of decorating. I think everything looks so beautiful and lovely. Would you just help me thank them by giving them a, just a round of applause? Thank you, ladies. When I see these Christmas decorations, I, I can't help but think of the story of the Christmas thief. You may have heard this. Uh, it's been a couple of years now, but there was a thief that was breaking into homes during the Christmas holiday, stealing presents. He'd break in into the dark of night and get his little sack and put those presents in the sack and then leave, leave the house uh, stealing those gifts. On this one particular occasion, he broke into a home, and it was totally dark except for the glimmer of the little lights on the tree. And as he was filling his sack full of the presents that he found under the tree, over his left shoulder, he heard a voice say, Jesus is watching you. To which he paused briefly for a moment, thinking that he did not hear it, and continued to put the presents in the sack, and it happened again. Jesus is watching you. At which time he looked over his left shoulder and there in a birdcage sat a parrot. He got up off the ground. He walked over to that parrot. And he said, you're about the funniest thing I've ever heard. What in the world? That's a funny little saying. What do you mean Jesus is watching you? Let me ask you a question, bird. Who are you? And the bird looked and said, my name's Moses. He said, Moses, that's about the dumbest name of a bird I think I've ever heard. Who in the world would name their bird Moses? He said, sir, it's the same people that named their 150-pound Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> Be sure Jesus is watching you, and that's not my Rottweiler. I don't have one. Jesus is watching us. This morning, I want to call your attention to a passage of Scripture found in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56, that I've entitled, Behold the Praise of Christmas. Behold the Praise of Christmas. In this particular text, we know this to be Mary's song. Mary is singing to God as she is rejoicing over what the Lord Jesus, what God himself has done to her concerning the Lord Jesus as she will bring uh, the Messiah into this world. We know that she's staying at Elizabeth's house, and while she is there, there's this tremendous amount of encouragement that comes into her where she moves from a position of knowing that she has taken of low estate and God has lifted her up to a position of honor in love. And in an unprideful way, she begins to praise God. Dear friend, I don't know what situation you might be in today, but you might think things are hopeless in this world or in your situation or in your family, but you can rest assured there are some things you can praise God for. And in praising God, it would do good to do as Mary did and praise the Lord. This morning, I want you to behold the praise of Christmas. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Let's notice what the text says this morning. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. 
And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arms. He hath scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath set empty away. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And then a little notation of history here in verse 56. And Mary abode, she stayed there with Elizabeth about three months. And then she returned to her own house. You may be seated this morning for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, the best that I know how, I yield myself to you. Only to be used as your mouthpiece to preach your word. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would remove every distraction that might hinder the gospel going forth this morning. God, I pray, Heavenly Father, that the scales would fall from our eyes, that we would not be distracted by the lies of the devil. I pray, Father, that we would see the praise of Christmas this morning and it would change us from the inside. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, any constructive criticism that we might have might come from the Holy Spirit in regards to our hearts. I pray that we would leave this place differently than when we came in. And Lord, I pray you'd get all the glory. I pray you'd get all the honor. And I pray that you'd get all the praise. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving us. Speak to our hearts now from this text, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As Mary praises the Lord in this particular passage of Scripture, we see it broken down into two primary sections. Two sections of which we can apply to our hearts and our lives that we might be praising the Lord during this Christmas season, just as Mary did. Let me show you a couple of things, first of all, before I get into the main points. I want to show you, first of all, verse number 48. Where the Bible says, For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. I don't know if you're like me or like Mary, but have you ever felt in your life, if God's called you to do something, how unworthy you are to do such a task? I can remember being called into ministry, thinking of how unworthy I am to go into ministry. Well, this is exactly the term Mary uses there when she uses that word low estate. She's talking about her unworthiness. She doesn't feel worthy enough to be used of God to do anything. Dear friend, might I say that humility is one of the greatest tools that God uses to use you for His glory. It's recognizing, yes, that you are unworthy to do so, but it's not denying the job that God has given you to do. God has given each one of us a responsibility, a job, if you would. There is a purpose and a plan for which God wants fulfilled in your life that only you can fulfill. And in fulfilling God's purpose and call upon your life, you might sense a great unworthiness to do so. But may I say that you have got to be just like Mary, as Mary moves from this position of low estate to receiving what God has, the assignment that God has for her, and realizing that you're blessed by God because He's given you such a responsibility. No, none of us are worthy to do anything for the Lord. But I promise you there's one thing that you can't do in heaven. You can't share the gospel with a lost person in heaven. That responsibility has been bidden to you and I. So dear friend, as an encouragement from the word of God this morning, let me just say this. There are many things you can praise God for, one of which being the call that God's placed on your life to do what God's called you to do. 
And once you do that, you find yourself in the same position as Mary as she cannot contain her praise. She has to praise God, and she praises God in two particular specific arenas. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Number one, the first thing I want you to see here in this text is the source of her praise. The source of her praise. The source of her praise, Abe, is found in verse 46 and 47. Let me show it to you. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And, verse 47, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Here we find the primary source of Mary's praise. And the source of Mary's praise is found in two arenas within her. Number one, the first one we find here is in her soul. Her soul. She magnifies the Lord with her soul. And then the second one there, we'll go ahead and put that up right now, is her spirit. She rejoices with her spirit. Now let me say something, if I could, about the soul and the spirit. The soul and the spirit are the two primary immaterial parts of man or humanity that is used in Scripture... That God has described to you and I. That is to say you have a soul and you have a spirit. Now now let's think about the spirit just for a minute. When you think about the spirit and the soul, it can be confusing at times to attempt to uh, extract the exact uh, precise difference between the two. But the word spirit refers only to the immaterial facet of humanity. Human beings have a spirit, but we are not spirits. We have flesh. We have blood. We can, however, see the results of our spirits. Uh, We see the result of a movement within our spirit. The Bible also says in Scripture that believers are said to be spiritually alive. If you're born again, then that statement right there rang a bell inside your heart. If you are spiritually alive right there, say amen. And then the Bible also says that if you don't have the Spirit, if you're not born again, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, then you are spiritually dead. That's what the Scripture says. You're spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And Colossians also chapter 2, verse 13. So in Paul's writing, when Paul in the New Testament, when he began to write in writing, the spiritual aspect of a man's life is pivotal in the life of a believer. We're seeing that in 1 Corinthians as we study that together. And also it's in Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, Each time he's speaking about the necessity, the need of spiritual growth. We grow up in our spirit. The spirit is the element of humanity that gives us the ability, if you would, to have an intimate relationship with God himself. You see, before we got saved, we were at war. We were enemies of God. We were of our father, the devil. But as we received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, we were born again and our spirit came alive unto God. And because of the living spirit within us, we were connected with God through the spirit because the Bible says God is spirit and that connection is there in line with the spirit. Now, we also know that Mary says that it is her spirit, if you would, in verse 47, that rejoiced in God. You see that there? Her spirit rejoiced in God. That is to say that what was happening down deep inside her, that is her soul, could not be contained therein, and it manifested itself in the spirit. So what are you talking about there in regards to the soul? Let me say this about the soul. 
The soul can refer both to the immaterial and material aspects of humanity. Unlike human beings having a spirit, human beings are souls. You are a soul creature. Your soul will live forever. Soul in its basic meaning means life. Your soul I cannot see, but it is very much who you are. And Mary says in regards to her soul, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. The word magnify the Lord is a term that servants would use towards their master to show and heap great praise upon them. And what Mary is saying is she's heaping praise upon God inside her soul, down deep in the recesses of her life, in the very nature of who she is. You cannot see it, but she is magnifying. She's giving great praise and honor to God. She is absolutely praising God to to the extent that her spirit cannot contain it. And it manifests itself by her lifting her hands and praising God, saying, I magnify the Lord. Uh, Now, what's fascinating about this particular verb in verse 47, hath rejoiced in my Savior, my spirit rejoiced uh, in my Savior. This is the only time in Scripture it's ever used. You won't find it anywhere else. This is the only time we have this particular instance where the soul and the spirit are combined and the spirit is rejoicing, if you would, is lifting hands and shouting praises to God as the uh, soul magnifies the Lord. Now, what's fascinating here about number uh, verse 47 is the word magnify is in the active voice, meaning it was not anybody else's responsibility to magnify the Lord in her soul but Mary's. Might I add this, in regards to application, it is no one else's responsibility to magnify the Lord but yours. You have the responsibility to magnify the Lord. You choose to do so or you choose not to. You can choose to be a bump in a log and say, bless God, you bless me if you can, preacher. But I'm here to tell you, if I bless you emotionally and you just get emotionally hyped, that pales in comparison to a move of the Spirit of God that moves in such a way that you can't keep your mouth shut where you've got to say, amen, hallelujah, praise God, lift your hands in holy praise, whatever may be the case. Let me give you an illustration if I could. I can remember when my first child was born. She's 20 years old now, and I can remember her coming into the world. We were there at the hospital, Tanner Medical Center. And as we're there, the midwife was there. I'm there. I'm in the delivery room. I'm sweating profusely. Miriam is just really concentrated, and here comes baby Alyssa. And the midwife is there. The nurses are there. Church members are nurses. They're there, and it's just wonderful. And as Alyssa is born and comes into this world and begins, Begins to, to cry, and the very first sound that I hear from her voice, oh, I can only tell you down deep in the recesses of my soul, I was thanking God, I was praising God, and it was so much way down deep inside of me, inside of who I, bear, who I am, the very life that's within me, it could not help itself but manifest itself, and the way it manifested itself that day was tears began to roll down my cheeks. As I was praising God, I didn't want to show out 
not too much because I wanted to go with the baby and I didn't want to get kicked out. And so they said, you want to follow us? I said, yes, I sure do want to follow you. And I followed Alyssa all the way into that nursery. And there were other babies and there was that, that, that window there. And there was family on the other side, church on the other side, giving me a thumbs up. I'm crying. I'm, I'm excited. I'm trying to keep my mouth shut so I don't wake the rest of the babies up in the nursery. They're washing Alyssa. She's crying. I'm crying. I'm praising God. I'm just shouting. But where did it all start? Down deep in the recesses of my soul, I was so thankful that God had blessed us with a child. Couldn't hold it in. Couldn't hold it in at all. We find here this is what Mary's talking about here in this text. She is praising God in her soul. She's praising God in her spirit. Why? Because it all comes from God. She realizes the perspective. This isn't about her. This isn't about Joseph. This is about God. And she praises God for his goodness. Now watch this. Now what did God do to deserve such praise? The reason why she praises God is because God kept his promise. God kept his promise. You remember how excited you used to get when your mom or dad would keep their promise? Well, I can remember when mom and dad would uh, give it, tell us, say, we're going to take y'all somewhere special. Man, it's going to be somewhere special. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to love it. It's going to be good. And me and my brother, who was four years younger than I am, couldn't wait. Man, where, where are we going? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? And they said, well, we're going to take you to Chuck E. Cheese. How many remember Chuck E. Cheese? Who in the world would ever establish a pizza restaurant with a rat? Well, Chuck E. Cheese did. Made a lot of money. This youngin wanted to go. Man, I wanted to go Chuck E. Cheese. Man, Chuck E. Cheese. Here we go. We went to Chuck E. Cheese. Well, I think Chuck E. Cheese still exists today. That rat's still alive in, in the pizza. But the bottom line is just simply this. When Dad said, okay, it's time to get in the car. Let's go. Oh, I was so jubilant. I couldn't wait. He's keeping his promise. Daddy's taking us to Chuck E. Cheese. Dear friend, we get excited when our fathers keep their promise. Mary knew that her father God was going to keep his promise and she could not contain her excitement. We see here the source of her praise. Her soul magnified the Lord and her spirit rejoiced in the God, her Savior. Then watch this. There's a second thing I want you to notice here in the text very quickly. The second thing I want you to see is the specifics of her praise. The specifics of her praise. Not only do we see the source of her praise in verse 46 and 47, but in verses 48 through 56, there is the specifics of her praise. She gets specific, if you would, in four specific things about God to which she cannot contain, she cannot hold within herself. She must react, she must proclaim, she must tell of the greatness of God. Notice the four things she talks about God in her praise. Number one, she talks about his name. Look at what the Bible says in verse 49. The Bible says, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. What is Mary referring to as she says here, He that is mighty hath done great things, and holy is his name? She's referring to the fact that over in Isaiah, uh, we find that many times, over 40 times, does Isaiah use this term that, that God is the Holy One of Israel. And the Holy One of Israel is going to do something great in the life of a little girl, a virgin girl. There's going to be this immaculate conception, this virgin birth, this Holy One is going to come out from, if you would, this, uh, this uh, virgin, if you will... 
And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one that will overshadow uh, the virgin and the Holy One will give birth. Oh, she's saying, the one that is giving me this opportunity is holy. Only God can do. You know what Mary was saying? I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know that I have never been with a man. I've never been with a man. And the child of God, the Messiah, is going to come through me. And I am expecting a baby. Only God can do such a thing. Now, you'd also know that Joseph had to get on board as well. And as Joseph got on board, the angel had to move in Joseph's life to get him on board uh, concerning this issue of being holy. The one which was conceived within her was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And as the Holy Ghost came upon Mary, the Bible tells us that she was with child. The Bible is clear that said only the mighty hand of God, the mightiness of God and God alone could do such a great miracle. Holy is his name. But then she turns her attention to a second thing. Not only does she praise God for his name, she also praises God for his mercy. Look at what the Bible says. Notice verse number 50. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Now I want you to notice something here in verse number, 40, uh, verse number 48 that's different. In verse 48, she changes, if you would, the tense and verbs. Uh, if you'll notice there uh, that she says in the two previous passages of Scripture, uh, being that the Lord, uh, her soul is magnifying the Lord. Her soul is rejoicing in the Savior. But in verse number 48, she changes the tense of the verb and says, For he hath regarded the lowest state. Of his handmaiden. And seven times in this text, she uses the term, He hath. He hath done great things. He hath done these things. And the first thing that she uh, mentions here is His mercy. His mercy is on them that feareth Him from generation to generation. Oh, dear friend, what we need more than anything in this world is mercy. Oh, we need mercy. I'm reminded of a story growing up when I was just a little bitty boy. We lived on Tidmore Bend Road. And I had a little, there was a little house I lived in. And it was a fenced-in uh, house. And I, I can remember in my, in my mind, my memory recalls, I can remember my brother being four years younger than I was. And, and he was uh, not with me. He wasn't able to throw the ball. He wasn't old enough. And, and so I, I must have been five years old, four, five, six years old. And, and I can remember being outside. And I had my glove in my hand. And my baseball and my dad would normally throw ball with me but he worked third shift at Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company and, and I can remember throwing the ball on top of the roof and coming down and, and catching it and throwing it on the roof and catching it did I tell you my dad worked third shift at Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company well he did, he did. and as I was throwing that ball it would hit the roof and it would hit uh, right uh, above his bedroom and so he'd hear the thump roll 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 catch thump roll 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 catch and uh, he had had a bait of it, so he got up, and he walked out, and he opened the door. He said, son, he said, I worked all night. I'm trying to sleep. Uh, please don't throw the ball on top of the house. Uh, please, I, I, I really, I need to get some rest, son. Okay, daddy. I said, okay, I, I'm sorry. And uh, dad went back in. And then I got to thinking. See, that's where you mess up. You start thinking. It's always been my problem. And so I began to think, and I thought, you know, if I throw that ball up there real soft, real gentle, maybe it won't make such a loud thump in my dad's room. So I gave it a go. I threw it up there one time, and 
Dad didn't come out. I thought I did pretty good, Danny, so I did it a second time. And then the third time, I thought I pretty much got the, ha the hang of this. I know how to do this. I wonder if I can throw uh, a knuckleball up there. That'd be just fun. So I reached back and went to throw. And when I did, my calculations weren't all that great. And I threw that baseball right through my bed bedroom window. <laughs> Crash. Yeah. Um, it was at that very moment in time, I thought ran through my mind. Could I make it alone as a seven-year-old? <laughs> would anybody hire me in my young life? Does my, would my family really miss me? Well, I no longer got that out of my mind, and the door opened, and it was Daddy. And he had his belt in his hand. Now, listen to me very carefully. I was never abused as a child, never abused, but I was disciplined quite often. And Dad took that belt, and he applied to me all the licks he thought would take uh, to pay for that window. Uh, it was about $12.50. <clears throat> I asked Dad on that day for mercy. He showed me none. Dear friend, the point of that story is just simply this. Thank God your dad didn't work third. Thank God God didn't work third shift at Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. And the bottom line is he does extend mercy to you and I. And his mercy is great. His mercy is everlasting. His mercy is long-suffering. As a matter of fact, when you look at the mercy of God and realize that it's getting what you do not deserve, then you see all of the beautiful passages of Scripture that contain the mercy of God. Verses like Psalm 13, 5 and 6 that says, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. How about the 23rd? Psalm, one of which we all know, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How about Psalms 25, 6, and 7? Remember the Lord, O tender mercies, and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. How about Psalms 31, 7? I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy for for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversity. Psalms 32, 22. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according to the hope in thee. Psalms 57, 9 through 11. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. How about Psalms 86, 5? For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto them that call upon thee. What about Psalms 94, 17, and 18? Psalms 104 and 5. Psalms 103, 8 through 12. Psalms 109, 26 and 27. Psalms 130, verse 7. Psalms 136, 1. Psalms 145, 8 through 10. Psalms 147, 10 and 11. And we can go on and on and on and on. Why? Because the Bible is full of the mercy of God. Mary was thinking about these mercy-filled verses and said, I cannot help but be specific in my praise. I praise God not only for His name is holy, but He's merciful unto the nations. But then watch this. There's a third thing he says. Or a third thing she, she tells us about here in the text, specifically, that she praises God for. In verse number 51 through 54, she praises God for His power. The power of God. Look at what the scripture says. Verse 51. He hath showed strength with his arm. 
Uh, here we have a grammatical note that uh, here's a beautiful illustration, guys, of anthropomorphisms. What is that? That is giving a human character quality to God. We said God's spirit, and here's a human quality given to him, the strength of his arm. The illustration is him raising his arm in strength. And it says he is a, a, a powerful God, and she cannot help but, but praise him and lift up praises to his power. And then watch this. Notice what she does. Notice how she identifies the power of God in the course of the children of Israel's life. She says, first of all, that he scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. What is she thinking about there? Perhaps Mary is thinking about the time as she's heard time and time again in the Old Testament how the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And as they're coming out of Egypt, they've got the Red Sea in front of them. They have, if you would, Pharaoh's army behind them. And God in his miraculous uh, sovereignty stretches forth, if you would, his hand. And as the waters depart, the children of Israel walk on dry land. But as those uh, from Egypt get in the water. What does God do? He releases the dam, if you would, and he scatters the children of Israel all the way down the river. According to the word of God, Mary in her thought process says she has, he has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. And let me say this, he does the same today. He scatters the proud in the imagination of their heart. Uh, we find that there are many today in the imagination of their heart thinking they can get to heaven by being religious. There are many that think they can get to heaven uh, by going through some form of, uh, of confirmation. Uh, they think they can get to heaven by going through some, some form of church membership. Uh, they think they can go to heaven by performing some ritual, by doing some sacrament. By performing some duty, if you would. By making some pilgrimage. Oh, the imaginations of the heart, the Bible said, will be scattered by God. Those that come any other way by the way of the cross are destined for hell. It's the cross that sets you free. It's the blood of Jesus that sets you free. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Only Jesus has the power to set your soul free. Uh, we find not only does she say that he scatters, but no, notice what he says next in the text. The Bible says in verse 52, he hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Oh, you can almost see in Mary's mind what she's thinking about here. In no doubt when she says that God has put down the mighty from their seats, she's going all the way back to Genesis. She's going back to the promise by which God made to Adam and Eve. Remember who Satan was before he was cast out of heaven. He was Lucifer. He had a place of authority. He had a place in heaven. And the Bible says that there was pride found within him. He said, I will be like the Most High. And he said five times, I will, I will, I will, I will. And this pride was his demise. And the Bible says that God took him from his position and cast him down to the earth where he crawled on his belly the curse that came upon those that were mighty. The Bible says here, he put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low estate. Oh, when, he talk, when she begins to praise God for his power of low estate, she's thinking about herself as a little hand 
handmaiden of God, a little girl that God's going to use to perform a great miracle. She will be with child. She will give birth to the Son, the Messiah. He will live a sinless life, go to Calvary's cross, die for the sins of mankind, and on the third day, rise up again. He will put down the prideful and exalt the humble. But then she goes on. Look at what she says next in verse 53. She says next that he hath filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he hath sent empty away. You read this passage of scripture and you cannot help in in my opinion as I think about this text. Think about Mary and Jesus as she holds Jesus in her arms seeing the Son of God. And Jesus grows up and Jesus actually has something to say about this very thing in Luke 6.21 where he says, Blessed are ye that hunger now for ye shall be filled. You see, in his great power God fills the hungry. Did anybody come in here hungry today? Hungry for the word of God? Hungry for the teachings of God? Hungry for the praise of Christmas? Dear dear friend, I give you today, behold the praise of Christmas and the source of her praise down deep in her soul and her spirit. Praise God. And the specifics of her praise is praising for his name, his mercy, his power. And through that power, knowing that you're filled with the spirit of God, what do you need more than anything this Christmas season? It's not a new gift. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. He says there, they'll be filled. And then he says, those others will be sent away empty. You can leave here today and say, man, that preacher, he, he preached today, but I didn't get anything from it. I ain't get nothing from that. I, 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 just, I, I, just, I just, I just, I don't know. Well, dear friend, stop listening with your ear. Start listening with your heart. Mary may have been thinking about King David may have been thinking about that time that King David was out there and he was battling the Philistines and he came back over there. David, I think about this passage over in 1 Samuel chapter 30 when he dealt with Ziglag. And here comes David back from uh, fighting the Philistines and he carries his, his warriors, his mighty men, his army to Ziglag. And he gets to Ziglag and what happened? What happened was the enemy come into Ziglag and burned all their houses, stole all their wives, stole all their children, took all their stuff. I mean, they, he, walked, he walked from battle and walked home. And when he got home, he was standing on a pile of rubble. Probably one of the most lowest times in David's life. Some say he was around 20 years of age in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Broken. Everybody around him was so mad at him. The Bible says they wanted to take up stones and kill David. David got along with God, said, God, what do you want me to do? And God said, I want you to go get the stuff. I gave you that stuff. That's my stuff. You're responsible for it. Go get it. The Bible says they journeyed three more days, found a man in the desert laying there, about half dead. They survived him. And as they revived the man, they said, tell us, tell us how you made it out here. And the man that was half dead said, I'll do it on one condition. After I tell you, you don't kill me. I want to just, I want to remain alive. Don't kill me if I tell you. 
So they, they said, we promise we ain't going to kill you, David said. And so the man told him, and come to find out, it was the enemies of Israel that came down into Ziglag. And this guy fell sick, and uh, those enemies didn't care for him. They just left him out there to die. And so David said, bless God, we're going to go get our stuff. In the name of Jesus, it belongs, all belongs to him. And the Bible says they went. And the point of the whole story is just simply this. What the enemy thought they had, they didn't really have. Really, the true meaning in, in that wonderful little narrative, if you've never read it, it's a fun, fun uh, narrative to read in Scripture and just chock full of principles, is that everything belongs to God. And if it's God's, he'll get it back. You can't hold on to it tight enough. So the Bible says they went up there and they got all the stuff back and they got everything back and they split it amongst the people. And the, and the bottom line is simply this, that the enemy walked away empty-handed. I wonder if that's what Mary was talking about when she wrote this. As she's singing praise to God. When she says, he hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent away empty-handed. And then watch this. There's a fourth thing she praises God for here that I don't want you to miss out. Concerning his power. It says there that he hold, holden, you see that? He holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. The word holpen there means to help, to come alongside, to encourage, to help in such a capacity. I think about Psalms 98 verse 3 where the Bible says, He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. Here we find Mary and praising God and thinking about the Old Testament and what God has done for Israel. She specifically prays from praises God for his great name, for he is a holy God. She praises his name because his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. She praises him for his power. He has the power to scatter the enemy, to lift up the humble, to fill the saint of God, and to help in your time of need. And then watch this. She praises specifically, last of all, for his voice, the voice of God. Notice what she says about God's voice in verse 55. The Bible says, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. There's no doubt when Mary mentions this and speaking about her father, she's speaking about the generations of her past. She's thinking about those Prophets that have come before her that spoke of the Messiah coming to this world. She thought about Isaiah. As Isaiah said that there would be a virgin that would give birth to a child. He, she thought about that to the capacity where she praises God. And says, I want to praise God for his voice. He's still speaking. He hasn't stopped speaking. Which is vitally important because when you notice the time span between Malachi and the opening up of the New Testament. We find hundreds of years where God did not say a word. But God in his great love always keeps his promise. And Mary was so overjoyed at the promise that God was keeping. What promise was she thinking about when she wrote this? As she noted down that God has spoken to our fathers. And then she said to Abraham and to his seed forever. What was she thinking about? Mary's mind was racing back to Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. This passage is known as the Abrahamic Covenant. 
Mary is thinking about that covenant that God made with Abraham as God called Abraham out of Earl of the Chaldeans to a land that God would give him. And the promise is related, if you would, or excuse me, uh, it, it, it is reiterated is what I'm trying to say. It's reiterated in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. And then we find it uh, given another uh, time, if you would, in Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21. I'm telling you, the uh, Abrahamic covenant is so vitally important because it gives three things. A land, a seed, and a blessing. And Mary in her praise for the Messiah coming is just simply saying, I praise God, praise God. My soul magnifies God, my spirit rejoices. I praise God for his name, for his mercy, for his power, for his voice. He spoke in the Old Testament concerning the Abrahamic covenant, a land, a seed, and a blessing. In particular, she's speaking of the blessing part. The blessing part coming in the form of the Messiah who says, Whosoever will can be saved. And she praises God, saying that Abraham heard from God. Our fathers heard from God. And those that are the children of God, the seed will hear forever and ever. Somebody say, well, you know what pastor said? Uh, if I draw my conclusions properly, he's talking about Abraham's seed there. If there's only one interpretation of this text. You're right. You're right. There is only one seed there. He's talking about the Abraham's seed. But be mindful. Because to be born again means you're engrafted into the root you're engrafted into the branch if you would engrafted in such a capacity that you me us Gentiles are the seed of Abraham we've been engrafted in now does does God uh, love his children Israel oh he does he loves them he's long suffering towards them and how must a Israelite get saved a Jew must get saved just like a Gentile. They must be born again. And this is why Mary is so excited. She's so happy. She's praising God because she said, God has spoke to our fathers, spoke to Abraham, and to his seed forever. The descendants of Abraham being you and I as well, as we're engrafted into the branch of Jesus, we know the voice of God. Here's the question. Are you listening? Are you listening to the voice of God. What does the voice of God say? The voice of God says, I want a relationship with you. The voice of God says, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The voice of God says, 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. The voice of God says that, uh, that uh, with the mouth confession is made. That if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The voice of God says, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day you get saved. Today's the day you trust Christ as Savior. The voice of God says, you are valuable to me. I sent my son to die for you. 
I loved you that much. Mary, upon recognizing this and realizing the position she has, moved from a position of unworthiness to a position of surrender. And that surrender caused her to praise. Can I ask you a question this morning? When's the last time you just praised God? Praised God for His name. Holy, holy, holy. Praised God for His mercy. Has He been merciful to you? You're alive today. He ain't done with you. Your heart's still beating. Did you praise Him for His power? Think about where you were before you got saved. Where you are today. Think about his voice. Can you hear his voice? If you can't hear the voice of God, maybe it's because you're lost. That is, you've never trusted Christ as Savior. I can remember when I was 14 years of age and I heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God convicted me under such great power. The Bible says over in the book of Hebrews that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to pierce and split the soul and the spirit. Look at it. It's an amazing thing. So the Word of God's able to do that. And so on that particular day when I got saved, the Word of God came down, and it split. It split my soul and spirit. So what do you mean? Here's what happened that day. What happened that day? When I got saved... I clearly understood deep down in the recesses of my heart that I was a sinner dying on my way to hell. And I was under deep, deep, deep conviction that day. So much so I was crying. I knew that my sins had put Jesus Christ on the cross. And I was in deep, deep agony in my soul. And then the man that won me to Jesus Christ talked about the mercy and the grace of God. And how that Jesus loved me enough to die on Calvary's cross. And then it was if there was a split in my soul and spirit. So what do you mean? My soul became so joy-filled to know that Jesus Christ saved my soul. Saved me. There was a tremendous joy inside of me. While on the outside there was contrition, tears running down my cheek for the sin that put Jesus Christ on the cross. At that very moment, my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I got saved. Man, I got radically saved. So I got so saved, I, I hadn't been the same ever since. Changed me completely, totally. Changed me. Have you heard the voice of God like that? Say, so, preacher, I used to hear the voice of God like that. I used to. I don't hear it anymore. What happened? I'll tell you, listen, this is what happened. You've become callous, sir. Ma'am, you've become calloused. The Holy Spirit of God has come and spoken to you time after time after time, and you've ignored it, you've denied it, you've rejected it, you've said no, 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 and now you're calloused. Does that mean I can't be saved? No, you can be saved today. If you'll recognize your callous heart and you come to Jesus Christ and the saving knowledge of the gospel and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, I know something else. I know there are some born-again children of God who have become callous too. Oh, you're saved. You know Christ is your Savior. You know he's the Messiah. 
But you become calloused because God has called you to teach a Sunday school class. God has called you to exercise your giftedness in the choir. And you've ignored him. You have put it off. You keep saying, I'm not ready. Yada, 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 yada. I mean, all these things. And the bottom line is this. God is telling you, you ought to be about his business. And you're nothing but callous in your heart, rejecting the call of God on your life. I'm going to tell you what you need to do, dear friend, this Christmas season. You need to recognize the praise of Christmas. Get down here and ask God to break up the fallowed ground. And God do a work in your heart to a capacity where you see God's name, his mercy, his power, and you hear his voice, and you do something great for the Lord Jesus Christ, which only you can do. Father, thank you so very much for the word of God today. I pray, Father, that if there be someone here today that's lost, that doesn't know the free pardon of sin, that today would be the day that they get saved. Lord, I pray you'd move mightily in this invitation as only you can. Change us from the inside. I pray that you'd remove all distractions. I pray, Father, that our hearts be pointed toward the Word of God and the praise of Christmas. Behold, here it is. Now, before I say amen and we stand up for an invitation, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. When I was speaking towards that end, God was speaking to your heart. You know you need to be saved, sir, ma'am. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be ugly. I am just trying to be a pastor who cares about your soul. Do you know the Bible says that as a pastor, I'm the watcher of your soul. I watch over your soul. And my deep, deep concern is you don't know him. Is that your soul does not know the Lord. Dear friend, if today's the day by which you want to recognize yourself as a sinner... Repent of your sin and trust Christ as Savior. Then I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting. Ma'am, listen to me. Ma'am, don't put this off. No more. Today's the day of salvation. Young person, stop playing games. Recognize the truth of God and get saved. So how might I do that, Pastor? From your heart to God's heart, I'm going to ask you to, to say this to the Lord. From your heart to God's heart, say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to save my soul. Today I repent of my sin. And I trust you as Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.